who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode 18 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 35 Break All System 2358, August 26th We were only two weeks out of break all when I finally completed the software hack that let me turn the intercoms on and off whenever I moved from one space to another within the ship. I'd discovered some dead spots in the process, and even, out of boredom more than anything, added a patch to turn on the lights when I entered my stateroom. In all that time, nobody else ever turned on a mic. The study sessions were still going on in the mess deck every day. A couple of the crew had to step back and evaluate their process toward skipping a rating. I thought it was interesting that it was something that they did among themselves and then told me about it after they'd decided. A few people, mostly Mosler and opponents, still glowered. They really didn't like it that their ability to intimidate their shipmates was so severely curtailed. It was good to see the crew becoming more cohesive, more supportive of each other. I smiled, thinking that perhaps it was going to work out after all. "'Something funny, sir?' Juliet asked, breaking into my reverie. "'Yes, Miss Jackson. I was just thinking about being a girly man and how much things have changed in the last few weeks,' I told her. "'Oh, you're considering a change then, sir?' she asked, with a twinkle in her eye. "'Going to cross the fence?' Charlotte snorted from her side of the bridge. "'You have some contribution, Miss Deng?' I asked sternly. "'No, sir, not me, sir.' She looked up from her tablet, grinning. "'So tell me,' I said, a bit more seriously. "'What's the news below decks?' The two women exchanged glances, and Juliet shrugged. "'News, sir?' Charlotte asked. "'Is there anything in particular you're interested in?' I looked back and forth between them, not sure how far I could go with them. "'How's life aboard?' I asked tentatively. Has it gotten any better? It was apparently Juliet's turn to snort. I don't know that it could have gotten much worse, sir, she said. Running some of the more egregious possibilities through my mind, I wondered if she was being a bit harsh. Charlotte picked up from Juliet's lead. We haven't had anybody seriously injured or killed this trip, she said. Yet, Juliet added. True, Charlotte responded with a small nod, but except for a couple of the stupider members of the crew, I think there's a lot less tension. 
Getting people together on the mess deck in the afternoon has done a lot for morale. She shrugged. I can't explain it. Juliet added, It's made a lot of difference in the birthing areas. She looked at me with a kind of an apologetic half-smile. There's a lot less bunk jumping. People seem to be pairing up. Charlotte coughed. Well, that's probably not the right word. Forming groups? She looked at Charlotte, who shrugged agreement. At any rate, there's a lot less random carnality with the accompanying bad feelings and black eyes. I blinked and decided I really did not need to know what kind of circumstances led to random carnality in the first place. I couldn't decide if it was something specific to the billy or if bunk bunny culture was inherently askew. It's harder to get into a bunk when you're not wanted these days, for sure, Charlotte said, especially when it's already full, she added with a wink. I couldn't be sure if Juliet blushed or not. She was paying very close attention to her helm. I see, I said neutrally. Thank you for that insight. You're welcome, sir, Charlotte said. Any time. I settled back down to my watch logs while Juliet and Charlotte returned to their studies. When 1745 rolled around, Burnside and Mallory clambered up the ladder to the bridge. After just having decided that I really was just being paranoid, I couldn't help but brace myself. Burnside walked over to the watchstander station and flopped bonelessly in the chair, though. For once he didn't stink of sex, but he didn't look all that lively either. Ship is on course and on tar, I started to say. I relieve you, Burnside interrupted. Then he put his head back and closed his eyes. I shrugged and followed Juliet down the ladder. We separated at the passageway, and she headed down to the mess deck. I made a beeline for my stateroom. We had twelve stands off and didn't need to be back on duty until 0600 the next morning. I was looking forward to a good meal and then a good night's sleep. Even passing Simon in the passageway outside the cabin no longer seemed strange to me. Dinner in the wardroom was a convivial affair to begin with. Arletta and I arrived a bit early. Freddie was already there with her tablet open and reading. She put it up when we breezed in the door. "'How are you, Freddie?' I asked happily. "'Fine,' she smiled. "'Just catching up on the sector's trading situation. "'Hasn't changed much since the last time we were here,' she added. Mel joined us with a hearty good evening and a warm smile around the table. "'How is everyone?' She walked around to her place, patting Freddie on the shoulder as she passed. Arletta was looking alert and rested as well as she might. It was her day off and hadn't had to deal with the ship that much. She returned Mel's smile with a grin and said, A few more days, and we can get off this tub for a while. Ah, Mel said with mock sadness. You don't like the billy. Oh, it's not that, Arletta said with a wicked grin. I just think we should see other people. Penny Davis brought in the trays, and we set two. There wasn't a lot of gusto, but it was filling and warm. That counted. I also think I was finally getting to the point where the food was the food, and my mind wasn't looking for more than filling and warm. Whatever else one might find fault with, the food was always filling and warm. It was a typical Burnside-free meal with fun companions and pleasant banter. For all my dark trepidations about the ship, I was feeling a little foolish about my concerns. Afterwards, I headed back to my stateroom and began taking advantage of the long break between watches by stripping down to my skivvies and crawling into my bunk. I must have been tired because I don't remember actually laying down. When the tap-tap-tap on my stateroom door woke me, I immediately thought I'd overslept and missed relieving the watch. It was one of those recurring nightmares that plague watchstanders, like missing the final exam haunts students. That little spike of adrenaline left me confused, but I managed to say, Yeah? loudly enough to be heard on the other side while I was still blinking my eyes into focus. I heard a woman's voice say, Mr. Huang? It's Davies. One tick, I told her. 
and scrambled out of my bunk and into a ship suit. The chrono said 2250. When I opened the door, Penny Davies was standing there, nervously looking both ways up and down the passageway. She glanced at my face and said, Sorry to bother you, sir, but may I come in? I backed into my stateroom to give her a chance to enter. She slipped in with another glance at my face and a grateful smile. She closed the door behind her, and I had a moment of doubt. She didn't come into the room any further than was absolutely necessary, but stood there just inside the door, playing with her fingers nervously and looking down. Okay, Miss Davies, I prompted softly. I'm almost awake. What's up? I backed up a little further, but didn't try to sit. I didn't want to sit on the bunk, and the side chair was the only other seat. I'm sorry, Sar, she said again. I could see her working up her nerve for something, and I was pretty sure I did not want to know what it was. I want to be in your harem, Sar, she said, without looking up. I scrubbed my face with my hands and sighed. It was not an auspicious start to the conversation. I don't have a harem, Miss Davies, I said gently. Oh, yes, Sar, she said softly, with little glances flicking up from the deck to my face and then back down again. I, I know you don't have a harem like that, Sar, but there are some that think you do, and I'd like them to think that I'm part of it so they'll leave me alone. Just tell them to leave you alone, Miss Davies, I said naively. They can't force you, can they? She did look up at me then, a stricken look in her face. Yes, sir, they can, she said matter-of-factly. You're in a nice stateroom by yourself. I sleep in deck berthing. They most certainly can. She lowered her eyes to the deck again. I blinked stupidly. Of course they could. I was being dense. I suppose I can't ask who, I prompted. I'd rather not say, sir, she answered. I have to live there. Of course, I said, scrubbing the back of my neck with one hand, trying to force a stream of logic through my sleep-bogged brain. Sar, she pleaded after half a tick, I don't know where else to go. Why me? I asked finally. Why not Miss Manus? Because you keep your people safe, Sar, she said softly. Her response surprised me. What makes you think Miss Manus doesn't? She snorted at me and gave the you've got to be kidding look. Because she can't, Sar, she said. And you think I can? I asked, trying to find some kind of footing in this conversational bog. You do, Sar, yes, she replied instantly. I sighed again. How do you propose to join my so-called harem? I asked after a few heartbeats. She shrugged a little nervously. Well, Sar, if I spent the night here a few times, she started to say softly. Whoa, I said. She stopped and flickered a few of those furtive glances up toward my face again. You know I don't really have a harem, I said softly. She gave a small nod. You know I don't sleep with my watch section, I added. She gave another small nod. But I'm not on your watch section, Sar. I'm not even in your division, she pointed out. I thought, maybe. Her voice tapered off. I sighed again. I don't screw with crew, Miss Davies, I said at last, trying to make it as gentle as I could. Any crew. She winced and said, well, we wouldn't have to do anything, Sar. There was a note in her voice now that had gone over the edge into pleading. You want to spend the night in my stateroom so you can convince people that you're part of my harem, I pointed out. Do you think people will believe we're not sleeping together? No, sir, she said. I suspect they will. That would be the whole idea. But I don't have a harem, I came back to the logic. I kept trying to get back there, but I wasn't having any luck. 
Maybe you could start one, Sar, she said softly. I know others who'd like to join. I did sit on the edge of my bunk then. It occurred to me that this might be a nightmare, that I really was still asleep. Why? I asked finally. So you'll protect me, Sar, she said simply, like you protect Ula and Charlotte and Juliet. Ula? I asked. Ula Nart? Yes, Sar, she said with another of her little nods. They stopped bothering her after you stood up to a Mosler and opponents in the gym. Everybody thinks she's in your harem and they leave her alone. With that, we had moved out of nightmare country and into surreal. I didn't even know where to go from that point. Sar? She pleaded, please. I'll sleep on the deck. Anything. There was a desperation in her voice that kept me off balance. I just can't keep going on like this, she said with a half sob. Just tell them no, I said a bit forcefully. She looked up at me again with one of those you-can't-be-saying-that looks on her face. Tell them no, she asked, her voice rising a little. Tell them no to this. She reached up and unzipped her suit, stripping it back to show she wasn't wearing a ship tee under it. It was too fast for me to protest, and what she showed me stopped me cold. She was a patchwork of bruises, some fresh and dark, some a yellow color, some were just a minor discoloration on her skin. Mixed in were what looked like bites and scratches. Do you think I don't tell them no, Sar? She asked, staring into my face. Do you really think telling them no makes a difference? I had a hard time catching my breath. Behind me, I heard Arletta moving around in the head. I glanced at the chrono, 2315. She'd be getting ready to go on watch. She tapped on the door, and I reached over to release the latch without thinking. She opened the door and stuck her head in. You okay-ish? I thought I heard... She expected to find me lying in my bunk, and when she turned her head to look at me, I could see her eyes focus on the figure trying to get her ship suit back up over her shoulders. I know you're on your way to watch, Ms. Novea, but if you could spare a couple of ticks, I said. Ms. Davies here wants to join my harem. She pushed the door open a little more, and the extra light from the head made the bruises and bites stand out more against the pale skin. Davies finally got her ship suit back on and zipped, but not before Arletta had seen. Now what? she asked me. I was hoping you'd have some ideas, I told her. Chapter 36 Break All System, 2358, August 26th. Burnside, Arletta hissed. She stepped out of the head and into my stateroom. Davies gave a little panicky intake of breath and all the loose pieces clicked into place. Well, I asked, you're senior to me. What do we do? I could see Arletta's brain cogs engaging as she stood there staring at Davies. Freddy, she said, almost instantly. Get Freddy. I need to get into the shower because I have a watch in less than half a stand. Freddy, I asked. More as a way to get my brain moving down that path. Not Mel. Mel's too obvious, Arletta said, shaking her head, then repeated, Freddy. I reached for my tablet, intending to bip her. But Arletta said, go knock on her door. Ask her to come to my stateroom. Davies was looking back and forth between us, trying to figure out where this was going. I felt her confusion. I wasn't sure myself, but Arletta had it right. Penny, Arletta called, come into my stateroom while I get ready for watch, and we'll get you some help. Davies looked at me, and I nodded encouragingly. We'll get you some help, I repeated, pulling back my legs so she could slip past me. Arletta flattened against the bulkhead, and Davies disappeared through the bright light of the head and into Arletta's stateroom beyond. 
Arletta and I traded a glance, and I headed for the passageway. It was only three long steps to Freddy's door, and an alert, fully-dressed Freddy answered my tap almost instantly. Ishmael, she said when she saw me standing there, what's wrong? There is a problem. Arletta's stateroom, I said softly, and stepped back out of the way as Freddy practically exploded out of her stateroom and headed down the passage. The hunched-over, frail woman was gone, and some new Freddy closed the distance before I could even have time to be surprised. She tapped on Arletta's door softly and slipped in when it opened, leaving me standing there alone in the passage. I was left to wonder if I should go to Arletta's room or my own. In the interest of sanity, I went to my own. Freddy and Arletta were much better equipped to deal with than I was, and if they needed me, they knew where to find me. The door to the head was closed, and I could hear voices on the other side. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but it was only a tick or two before there was a tap on the head door again. I released the latch, and Freddy stuck her head in. Ishmael, please scout for me. We need to get Penny to sick bay and into the auto dock before the watch changes, she said crisply. Aye, aye, was out of my mouth, and I was halfway to the mess deck before I realized it. I slowed my pace when I got to the passage outside and sauntered in as nonchalantly as I could and over to the big urns. I took a cup from the rack and started filling it before glancing over to see Aponis with his head down on the table. He looked asleep, and I left quietly so as not disturb him. The sick bay was just across the passage from the wardroom. It wasn't much more than a walk-in closet with the autodoc pod in it. Every ship above 50 metric kilotons was required to carry an autodoc pod, and any passenger ship that carried more than 10 passengers was required to have a trained medico aboard. The pods weren't a replacement for a fully qualified doctor, but with weeks between ports, they provided a critical safety margin for the odd broken bone or laceration. In the case of severe injuries, the pod would seal around the patient, providing a full range of diagnostic and treatment. I scurried back to Arletta's stateroom and tapped on the door. She stuck her head out to make sure it was me. Opponents is on the mess deck. I didn't see anybody else in the passage. It's really quiet, I said. She nodded and opened the door wider, stepping out into the passageway to make room for Freddy and Penny. I need to relieve the watch, Arletta said softly. Freddy nodded and told her, Go, but do it slowly. I need a couple of ticks to get this poor dear settled. I handed Arletta the coffee cup and headed back toward sickbay, Freddy and Penny trailing me by a few meters. I went past the sickbay door and onto the turn that led to the mess deck. Behind me I could hear Freddy open the sickbay doors and in a moment closing them again. The auto dock hummed a bit, but then the sound subsided and all I could hear was the normal underway sounds of the blowers. I heard the door to sickbay open and close again, and Freddy came out with a glance in my direction. I turned to follow her back to officer country. She's getting treatment in a mild sedative, Freddy said softly as she reached my door. Nobody will find her there, and she'll be safe until morning. Thanks for your help, Freddy, I told her. You're welcome, Ishmael, she said. I wish I thought this would be the end of it, but... Her voice trailed off. Yeah, I agreed. One step at a time. Sleep well, she said, and headed back to her stateroom as I slipped into my own. I felt like I'd no more than dropped off to sleep before a loud banging on the door woke me again. Open up, Wang, Burnside said from the other side. Chrono said 0135. He'd been off watch for less than a stan. When I opened the door, he was standing in the passage, glaring at me. What do you think you're doing, Wong? He spit. Trying to get some sleep before I have to take the morning watch, I said, yawning in his face. What's the matter? I didn't have to stretch too much to play the muzzy-headed, half-awake junior officer. You know perfectly well, he said. Down the passage, Freddy's door opened and she stepped into the opening, clutching her robe at the neck. She didn't say anything. She just stood there watching. 
Burnside looked at her with a sneer and then turned back to me. He reached to push me out of the way, but I stepped sideways, leaving him pawing at empty air, and he almost fell. He covered by stalking into my room, crossing to the head and jerking open the door as if expecting to find somebody. I stepped out of the room and into the passageway where Freddy winked at me with a little smile. Burnside threw back the covers on my bunk to make sure I wasn't hiding anybody, and even using his passkey, he opened the door to our lettuce side and thrust it open, flooding the empty stateroom with light. When it was obvious that there wasn't anybody hiding, he closed our lettuce door with a slam, stalked back out to the passage where he seemed to realize that Freddy was giving him a colder-than-normal look. "'What are you looking at?' he snapped at her. "'Why, David,' she asked in her bird-like way, cocking her head a little to the side, "'have you been drinking?' I thought for just a heartbeat that he was going to attack her, but instead he turned to me and put a finger under my nose in warning. This was a mistake, Wong, a serious mistake. For once I kept my mouth shut and let him think it was from fear. With a glance over his shoulder at Freddy, he turned and stomped back down the passageway, heading toward the mess deck. Behind me I could hear Freddy sigh. Get some sleep, Ishmael, she said. It's going to be a long day. Going to be? I asked, covering a yawn with my forearm. She snorted a little laugh and said, Good night, Ish, as I went into my stateroom and closed and locked the door. I knew the lock wasn't going to be that much deterrence to Burnside if he wanted in, but maybe it would slow him enough that I could at least get on my feet. I crawled back into my bunk and grabbed another short nap before my tablet beeped me awake at 0500. The shower revived me, and with fresh clothes I felt almost human. As I walked by the sick bay, I thought perhaps I didn't feel that bad after all. I grabbed a coffee from the urn, stuck my head into the galley. Mr. Voorhees looked up when he saw me, and he came out onto the mess deck. I heard, Ms. Novea let me know what happened last night. He looked a little embarrassed. Is she okay? I shrugged. You know where she is now? I asked. Yes, he said. I didn't know she was that bad. I swear, he added quietly. I patted him on the shoulder. I don't think any of us did, I told him. I'd guess she'll be out this morning, but you may want to have Miss Kramer cover the wardroom duties for a while. I already arranged for that, he said. We'll do a buffet here this morning and see where we are at lunchtime. I've got to go relieve the watch, so if you need me, you can find me on the bridge, I told him. Oh, and I know you're a little short-handed this morning, so just ask Miss Dang if she'd bring my tray. There's no need for somebody to make a special trip. Thanks, Mr. Wong, he said a bit gruffly. That's two I owe you. Bah, I said. We have to watch out for each other. I smiled at him and took my coffee up to the bridge. I knew it was going to be a long watch. Arletta and I changed the watch with as little fanfare as possible. She asked, Is everything okay? I shrugged, as nearly as I can tell, but... She nodded and left Juliet and I on the bridge. Juliet gave me a serious look when we were alone. Something on your mind, Miss Jackson? I asked quietly, reviewing the overnight logs. At the risk of mongering without a license, the rumor is we have a new member of the harem this morning, Sar, she said. You are aware that there is no harem, aren't you, Miss Jackson? Oh, yes, Sar, she said, or at least there wasn't one until last night. There still isn't, Miss Jackson, I assured her. If you say so, Sar, she answered after a moment, but she didn't sound convinced. I managed to get through the overnight logs and check the status of the system's backups before Charlotte brought up my tray. She placed it gently on the console and then took the helm from Juliet. Where's Karen? Juliet asked her. Serving in the wardroom this morning, Charlotte told her. Mr. Voorhees asked if I wouldn't mind bringing the tray since he's short one attendant this morning. Juliet blinked. What happened to Penny? She finally asked. With as evil a grin as I have ever seen on the fair face of womanhood, 
Charlotte said, Well, apparently she had such a rough night last night. She was totally exhausted and needed medical attention to recover her strength. I almost choked on my coffee. Miss Deng, I asked. You have quite the reputation, Mr. Huang. Ooh la la, sir. The rumor is that you quite wore that poor woman out. Juliet looked at me with a muttered, lucky girl, before heading for the ladder in her own breakfast. Charlotte waited until the footfalls faded away before muttering, amateurs. Miss Dang, I asked, how is Miss Davies this morning? Oh, she just got out of the auto dock a few ticks ago, sir, she said. She's still a little woozy, but she's headed for her bunk. Miss DeGroote said she'd be ready for duty by lunch. Will she be safe in her bunk, I asked. As safe as any of us, sir, she said with a straight face. Now that she's in the harem, she'll be as safe as Juliet and Ula and me. I closed my eyes and sighed. I was afraid you were going to say that, Miss Dang. You're welcome, sir, she replied in a jaunty voice. I do try. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.